Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode is brought to you by American Blossom Linens. American Blossom Linens sheets are sustainable, ethical, and made in America with 100% American organic cotton. They're woven to last a lifetime, and this bedding really gets softer with every wash. I like that they are generously sized to fit luxury bedding, plus they have really nice deep pockets. Another really nice benefit to American Blossom Linens sheets, making putting on fitted sheets a lot less of a challenge. American Blossom Linens is high-quality bedding without traditional markups. The company prides itself on radical transparency and ethical factories without middlemen and passes on those savings directly to you. It is a female-run and founded business, and there's always free shipping. I personally really love that King and Queen sets come with four pillowcases. I'm really into changing out my pillowcases on a regular basis, you know, skincare. And these pillowcases are always soft, so easy to wash and maintain. Take advantage of their two-year risk-free trial using our code ECOCHIC20. Again, ECOCHIC20 at AmericanBlossomLinens.com to get a 20% discount. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to EcoChic. My name is Laura Diaz. It is really nice to have you here today. Today's episode is a new format that I'm trying out, and I'm really proud of it, and I hope you also appreciate this style. Here's some background on how today's episode is put together, because I feel like it'll help us in the future, especially when we're talking about current events. Earlier this week, on Monday, there was a new IPCC report shared, and this is a report on mitigation. We've talked a lot about IPCC reports in the past, and about five weeks ago, I had two lead authors on the working group to report here on the show, talking through some of the main findings and key takeaways from that working group two report. This past Monday, the working group three report was shared. This is the last in the series of reports for this cycle of AR6, assessment report six. Quick recap, in case you haven't heard these previous IPCC related episodes, the IPCC is a group of scientists from the United Nations that synthesize and summarize current climate information and climate data. This is arguably the most respected body of climate change information that we have today on an international scale. Assessment reports are put out every six to eight years, and they are broken into three sections, working groups one, two, and three, and each working group has a different focus area. Working group one looks at the physical impacts of climate change. I did an episode on that report. Working group two looks at the effects of climate change on human systems, on socioeconomic systems, more people-related impacts of climate change. And like I just mentioned, we had two lead authors on recently to discuss that report. And then working group three, the most recent release, is on mitigation of climate change. I have shared in the past how to read these reports, so I encourage you to go back to older episodes and better understand how you too can read these reports or look through the summary for policymakers. I also shared a Reels and a TikTok walking you through the last report, how to read it. So if you're looking for more visuals, I have that all on social. You can always find me at EcoChic Podcast wherever you want to interact. Whenever we have conversations around IPCC reports or for that matter, any climate change related current event, 
I always somehow mention in the intros, maybe you've seen the headlines, perhaps you've heard about this in the news, X, Y, and Z. And it dawned on me while listening to my daily episode of NPR's Up First podcast that we've never done a deep dive into news headlines or sound bites or anything like that. And that's what I hope we can do today as we talk through mitigation and the Working Group 3 report from the IPCC. I'm pairing some of those conversations with sound bites from the news. I will, of course, give you background on who the speakers are, and then we can deep dive into what they're actually saying and make it a lot more palatable for us. I love to say on this show that one of my biggest goals is to democratize climate science, but when you're listening to the news and you're hearing these headlines, it's really easy to feel far away from the problem if you don't understand what we're actually talking about. So I'm hoping to take some of these headlines, again, some of these sound bites, and we're going to break them down a little bit further into information that you and I can actually understand and relate to the bigger picture. I feel like this is a pretty cool idea for an episode, so I hope that y'all like it. Please do let me know if you like this style of episode. I can't say that I'm going to do them all the time, just given the nature of how much news needs to come out for us to really dissect some problem or some current event. But when we have big events, it's so great to talk to speakers one-on-one and get an expert's opinion. But we've talked about the same thing over and over again, like the IPCC reports. This is going to be a fun way for us to deep dive into a conversation, into a current event. I think the first most important thing for us to understand before even talking about mitigation is actually to just define and differentiate mitigation and adaptation. These are words that are sometimes used interchangeably when we talk about climate change and when we talk about climate science or climate solutions. But one of the biggest things we need to understand is that these are totally different approaches to the climate crisis. Mitigation is actually reducing and stabilizing the levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. It is intervening on the problem. Adaptation is what it sounds like. It is adapting to climate change that's already happening. You've accepted the problem and you're changing your lifestyle or your societal structure or something else so that you can adapt to this new climate. I remember being in graduate school and being presented this idea of adaptation versus mitigation, and I actually had a really hard time with it for a long time because when we see these things in practice, especially if it's a local government presenting some sort of climate solution, it's really hard to figure out if you are adapting or mitigating. It's hard to figure out if you're doing something or proposing something so that you can actually maintain business as usual in an adapting climate versus actually going to the source of the problem and finding a solution. So that's to say that it sounds really simple when we define adaptation versus mitigation, but in practice, in real life, it's actually kind of hard to figure out which of these two methods your government or your community or your personal lifestyle is following. Here's a clip from earlier this week from Antonio Guterres. He is the Secretary General of the United Nations. The jury has reached the verdict and it is damning. This report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is a litany of broken climate promises. It is a file of shame cataloging the empty pledges that put us firmly on track towards an unlivable world. We are on a fast track to climate disaster. We are on a pathway to global warming of more than double the 1.5 degree limit agreed in Paris. Some government and business leaders are saying one thing, but doing another. Simply put, they are lying. Choices made by countries now will make or break the commitment to 1.5 degrees. 
a shift to renewables will mend our broken global energy mix and offer hope to millions of people suffering climate impacts today. Climate promises and plans must be turned into reality and action now. I feel like Guterres's address really emphasizes the urgency that this report underlines. There's really no other recent report that talks about climate change as the near issue that it is. And I feel like that's really difficult to say because we hear a lot of urgency already around climate change. We understand that it's a problem at a high level, but this report really shows us that we are running out of time. We're not out of time yet, but we are dangerously close to missing our window of mitigating the climate crisis. I normally hate when people say that they're so busy and just don't have time for things because at the end of the day, all of us are busy. We are all consumed with work and family and so many other things in our day-to-day life. And at the end of what feels like an endless day, the last thing I want to do is cook dinner. But when your fridge is empty, that urge to order in and skip the cooking happens all too often. But thanks to Daily Harvest, I don't have that takeout temptation anymore. Daily Harvest helps keep my freezer fully stocked with options that are delivered right to my door and are delicious, nourishing, and ready in minutes. Daily Harvest delivers delicious harvest bowls, soups, flatbreads, snacks, smoothies, lattes, and more built on organic fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest has delicious options for any time of day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and dessert. Everything is always on hand in your freezer, ready to enjoy when you need it. Personally, Daily Harvest has come really in handy around lunchtime. I work from home, so it's really easy to work through my lunch hour. So I especially love Daily Harvest options like the tomato and basil flatbread. It's in my freezer, I can throw it in, and I know I'm getting healthy, organic, delicious food without a crazy amount of prep. With Daily Harvest, I never have to question if the food I'm eating is good for me. They create food that's both good for my health and the health of the planet. By supporting farmers who invest in practices that increase biodiversity and improve the health of our soil and delivering food in recyclable and compostable packaging, Daily Harvest does the work, so all you have to do is eat. Their newest addition, which I am really excited about, I've really enjoyed them, I think y'all will enjoy them, is their delicious Harvest Bakes for those moments that you're looking for homemade food without any of the work. They're ready-to-bake, veg-packed, delicious dishes, sizzling with gourmet flavors that are just big enough to share. You just won't want to. Avoid the takeout temptation and get Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com slash eco-chic to get up to $40 off your first box. That's dailyharvest.com slash eco-chic for up to $40 off your first box. dailyharvest.com slash eco-chic. Eco-chic is also sponsored by Dipsy Stories. You're allowed to switch things up when you feel like it. Yesterday, I was jamming to country music. Today, all I want to listen to is Jack Harlow on repeat. Your go-to dessert might sometimes be creme brulee, sometimes it's dairy-free ice cream, I can always go for a slice of cake. With Dipsy, you always can choose what feels good in the moment. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who or what you're into. Find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent, hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. They even have stories designed specifically for your zodiac sign. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they also offer written stories. It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with your partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash eco-chic. That's 30 days of full access for free 
when you go to dipsastories.com slash eco chic. Dipsystories.com slash eco chic. Links are always in the show notes. Before we talk about solutions, I would first like us to better understand how we're seeing climate change every single day. I have this really great clip from USA Today reporter Dina Voles Pulver on the physical indicators of climate change, particularly in the U.S. Specifically in North America, they're being seen in terms of intense rain in the eastern half of the continent and the prolonged droughts and heat waves that they're seeing in the west. The south sees it in more intense hurricanes and heat waves. States along the Gulf Coast of the U.S. were specifically mentioned in the report. These more intense hurricanes are striking the Gulf and causing, you know, broader impacts in terms of flooding, like the flooding that we have seen in Houston after Hurricane Harvey, for example. As those storms arc up along the Mississippi and up through the Northeast, those areas are also getting more intense rainfall. If you're interested in learning more about the physical science currently emerging around climate change, I highly recommend you go back and look at AR6 Working Group 1 from the IPCC. That was a whole report dedicated just to the physical indicators of climate change and how we're currently seeing it play out. I think this is really important, while this is not the focus of this report, but to open up with an understanding that climate change is happening. We're seeing it happen. We are seeing wildfires. We're seeing droughts. We are seeing winter storms. We are seeing more intense everything across the board. I have some episodes on extreme events if you want to go back and listen to those. I have episodes on disaster mitigation and planning as well. If you want to listen to those, I can link them in the show notes. But this is all to say that it's right in front of our eyes. We see it happening right now, and this is the moment to act. There is a really interesting urgency to this latest Working Group 3 report that we haven't seen in other reports because this is our moment to say we see climate change happening and we are going to mitigate climate change. We are here to influence the way that we are emitting. We're here to reduce those emissions and we're here to protect our communities by doing better. There is some really obvious negative impacts when we talk about the physical changes that come with climate change. So when we talk about flooding or wildfires, these of course have really unfortunate impacts on human communities. People can lose their homes, people can lose their lives. And this report took it one step further by mentioning the human health impacts of climate change and how we are seeing it and the kind of solutions that we need to start implementing once we understand that human health and negative deteriorating human health is a negative impact of climate change. I'd like to zoom in on a really interesting, important finding from this particular report. The report calls out the unequal distributions of emissions across the globe. We've heard plenty of times that the most vulnerable communities are going to be the first impacted by climate change, but we are seeing that more and more obviously every single day. I'm here going to play two clips. First, we're going to hear a bit from Maria Neria, who is the World Health Organization's director for the Department of the Environment. And we're also going to hear from World Health Organization technician Sophie Gumi. A big, big proportion, almost 100% of the global population is still breathing air that is not, that exceed the, 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 the standards recommended by the World Health Organization. We know that every year more than 7 million people die because of exposure to this uh, polluted air. Third settlement, air quality is the poorest in, uh, in specific regions like the Eastern Mediterranean region, the Southeast Asian region and also Africa. 
I want to talk about both of these health-related quotes in relation to two charts from the Summary for Policymakers. If you're following along with me, I'll be referring to charts on page 11 and on page 47. The first major finding from the report that I want us to really digest is around how emissions are distributed worldwide. Emissions have grown in most regions but are distributed unevenly, both in present day and cumulatively since 1850. I always have a really hard time with that word, cumulatively. What does that mean? That means that there are regions in the world that are emitting very little but experiencing really severe impacts of climate change. An important thing to recognize when we talk about greenhouse gases in general is that this is a global problem. Just because you're emitting a lot in your city doesn't mean that all the emissions and all of those greenhouse gas pollutants sit on top of the city. They go into the atmosphere. And this may sound like a no-brainer, but I think a really good example to remember here is that of SO2. So in the 70s and 80s in the U.S. especially, we saw a lot of acid rain. Acid rain is a byproduct of sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere. And you get sulfur dioxide in your community from power plants. You get it from output from factories, whatever is emitting pollutants directly into the air. In areas near factories or near power plants, we could see big pockets of acid rain. Eventually, we figured this out. We learned about scrubbers, and it was a lot cleaner, quote unquote. It's kind of a funny way to think about it, but it was cleaner to emit into the atmosphere when you are taking out that sulfur dioxide. That is a very simplified way to describe why we don't see any more acid rain problems in communities. But I think this is a really good example because sulfur dioxide is a great example of a pollutant that sits in the atmosphere above where it is emitted. However, this is not the case with most greenhouse gases. It is a global problem. So if we're taking that one step further and we're thinking about these greenhouse gases that are being emitted that are threats to human health, That means that a lot of the most dangerous greenhouse gases are not being felt by the folks responsible for emitting them. According to the chart that I was just referring to, page 11 of the Summary for Policymakers, the majority, 27% of global emissions, are right now distributed over Eastern Asia. We know from the same data set that the majority of emissions come from North America. Now, I want to talk a little bit about mitigation. Let's talk about the solutions proposed in this report when we're talking about human health being impacted by climate change. We're going to zip forward to that page 47 I just referred to. And we're going to talk about demand-side mitigation. It can be achieved, according to this IPCC Working Group 3 report, through changes in socioeconomic factors, infrastructure design and use, and end-of-technology adoption by 2050. That is such a mouthful, and it's so much information to be giving on just one page of this big summary, but there's really two spaces that need to be mitigated here. It is in the emissions side. We need to mitigate. We need to actually reduce the amount of greenhouse gases that we're putting into the atmosphere. And then when it comes to the adverse human health effects as a result of any emissions, we need to talk about mitigating those livelihoods and those lifestyles to better support healthier communities and to help better mitigate those emissions that are already in the atmosphere and being felt by a lot of people around the world. Demand-side mitigation means changing demand. We need to change how we eat our diets. We need to change our infrastructure What kind of architecture are we choosing? How are we maintaining our cities? What kind of financial incentives are we giving so that communities and new building projects can be done in a more climate conscious way? 
End-use technology is a fancy way to describe the research and development behind materials that will help us replace the unsustainable ways that we're doing things now. So end-use technology is something like lab-based meat or more efficient materials for things like electric vehicles and solar panels, things that will help us in the long run. But we don't necessarily have the funding and the data to truly predict how that's going to impact our emissions quite just yet. I am such a jewelry girl. I like to have really basic things in my wardrobe, but mixing it up with great accessories and planet-conscious jewelry is really my go-to. It can be a little tricky out there to find a jewelry brand that clearly aligns with your values, but let's give it up for Ana Luisa Jewelry. Ana Luisa Jewelry is made for you and with the planet in mind. They are 100% carbon and water neutral, but also really, really pretty. Their versatile designs are perfect to mix and match and wear every day. You can even layer the necklaces together. Ana Luisa, that's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, has timeless jewelry for any occasion. A cute ring to show off at the grocery store while you pay for your groceries. Dainty bracelet when you pick up an iced coffee. I have this really cute little bracelet with flowers from Ana Luisa. And luxurious necklaces that make your friends think that you spent quite a bit of money on them. But the best part is that Ana Luisa jewelry starts at $39. Their prices are incredible. With our code ECOCHIC, you can get 10% off your order at shop.analuisa.com. If you've seen any recent recordings of the show or any of my TikToks, I am constantly wearing this really cute open heart necklace that I got from Ana Luisa. I absolutely love it, and I feel like I get complimented on it every single day. At Ana Luisa, that's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A, their pieces are the perfect gift for anybody on your list. A friend, a partner, a sister-in-law, perhaps you have a daughter to spoil... Plus, the gift guide on their website, along with their bestsellers page, are great destinations to browse their most gifted options. So while you're getting yourself a new necklace, you can throw in one for your sister. Why not? Go treat yourself and your loved ones using my code ECOCHIC to get 10% off. You know I don't promote things I don't believe in, and I absolutely recommend Ana Luisa Jewelry for the price point, for the planet-conscious commitments. They're a great brand. They make really beautiful, sustainable jewelry. So check it out, shop.analuisa.com slash ecochic, code ecochic. Again, shopanaluisa.com slash ecochic. It'll be in the show notes. Adopting these methods will also help us live healthier, more sustainable lives on the day-to-day. So it's not just about reducing emissions, but also in our lifestyles. We have the data to show that things like more sustainable or plant-based diets help us live longer, healthier lives. We know that public services like proper waste management and recycling and composting and all of those wonderful things not only help keep our cities clean, but living in a clean space allows us to live healthier lives globally. Bigger lifestyle changes like electric vehicles, of course, will help you in the long run by not producing so many emissions. But on the health side, that is significantly reducing the amount of air pollutants being put out by an individual vehicle. And when we're talking about that on a larger scale, imagine what it would be if entire cities were to switch over to electric vehicles. Some of the mitigation strategies here or some of the investments that can happen are things like entire cities when they have to replace vehicles to be replacing them with electric vehicles, when we're talking about larger fleets, when we're talking about things like the postal service and replacing those vehicles when they're at their end of life with electric vehicles. There are ways to scale all of these things, again, not just for the sake of the planet, but for the sake of human health. 
I think this is an excellent place for us to segue into our next little soundbite from Mans Nilsson, the executive director of the Stockholm Environment Institute. At this stage and with what this report is showing, we cannot afford to take any options off the table. And I think we need to engage with these carbon removal technologies. Uh, we need to also engage very strongly with all the energy sources that can bring us to net zero, which is our only chance to avoid very dangerous climate change uh, in the future. Um, even the most optimistic scenario of this report shows that we are going to be, and even if we are removing um, the uh, the, uh, the fossil emissions, we're going to experience warming over the coming 20 years um, at a dangerous but hopefully manageable level. But even a little bit of continuation of fossil uh, energy systems will lead us into dangerous uh, territories. We are really short on time which is the unfortunate truth and the biggest takeaway from this IPCC Working Group 3 report. However, as we just heard in the clip, we have solutions. We just do not have the time to pick and choose. And we don't have the time to play favorites with solutions. Now, again, if you're following along with me and reading the summary for policymakers on page 55, there's this really wonderful full-page chart of pros and cons of trade-offs with different options. So that is to say that, yes, we have a lot of solutions, and some of them are better than others at mitigating climate change. For example, wind energy, that's one of my personal favorite things to advocate for because wind energy is really efficient. And we can tell from this chart, from all of the data that we have, that wind energy positively impacts the climate on almost every sustainable development goal that the United Nations has. But then when we think about things such as ecosystem restoration or reforestation, a really wonderful climate solution, generally speaking, but there are definitely some areas where it is a negative, such as impacting decent growth and economic work, the eighth sustainable development goal. Ecosystem restoration may very well take some potential employment opportunities away in areas. That leads us into another problem. How are we creating employment opportunities in a green economy? How are we supporting the financial well-being of folks that are being pushed out of industries as we work towards sustainability? This is a really classic space where we normally talk about coal communities in the U.S. How are we supporting green job training programs and the rehabilitation of some of these communities that have kind of been forgotten or left behind by the American green economy or as we move towards a clean energy transition? And I think that this is also a really interesting point for us to remember everything is connected. Solutions for the planet also have to be solutions for people. But that's not to say that every single solution that's good for the planet, good for reducing emissions, for mitigating climate change, is going to be positive on human communities. So going back to the quote, going back to what we heard in Man Nielsen's description of solutions... I really want to make sure we understand that we have all of the solutions that we need to solve the climate crisis, but we can certainly be investing in new things. He mentioned carbon removal, and I love to remind us here on this show that we don't really have scalable, efficient, promising carbon removal technology yet. When we talk about carbon capture technology especially, it's really difficult to understand this outside of a lab setting or even to see it happening outside of a lab setting. But what does that mean? 
Even though I'm not the biggest cheerleader for carbon removal or carbon capture, we need it. So what does that mean about climate financing? How are we going to scale financing options for some of these more in-development climate solutions? Or if we already have all the solutions we need, why aren't we financing things like more efficient heating and cooling systems for every building across the country? Why aren't we scaling climate solutions like biofuels? What's going on with the airline industry? There are so many solutions that exist that we're not funding because maybe they're not that sexy. Maybe they're not cool and shiny the way that carbon capture is. And if you as an individual feel that way, that's totally fine. But we don't have time for our governments to feel that way. We don't have time for our financing institutions to feel that way. We don't have time to play favorites. Again, the time is now to invest and to scale climate solutions. A solution that I thought was really interesting that was highlighted by this report was the value in transnational partnerships. Transnational partnerships are just what they sound like. They are partnerships, collaborations essentially, between different countries, between different governments. This can influence and stimulate policy development, low emissions technology, emissions reduction at a larger scale because you're linking subnational and other actors. You're linking up cities and regions and other organizations, private sector entities perhaps, that will support the acceleration, the financing, again, the scaling of climate solutions, both in practice and in policy. A really good of a policy-related climate solution may be that of perhaps the Paris Agreement or other transnational agreements that governments are coming to. The problem with international treaties or agreements such as that of the Paris Agreement is that there are no consequences for not meeting your goals. Something highlighted in the IPCC's latest report as a great climate solution is that, again, of international environmental agreements. So either between institutions or governments or pairing up different initiatives to stimulate low greenhouse gas emissions, the investment of such and the reduction of emissions. Agreements are really important to emphasize commitment. When there is a public agreement or a public commitment to climate solutions and mitigating climate emissions, there is an incentive for private organizations, for institutions, for citizens to step up and say, this is how I'm going to be contributing to this greater goal. The report actually specifically states, it bolds, that international cooperation is a critical enabler for achieving ambitious climate change mitigation goals. I mentioned that we are really in the home stretch. We don't have a lot of time to waste, if any time at all. And this is definitely a we're all in this together type of moment. Partnerships, agreements, institutions, initiatives operating on the subnational, on the national level, on more sectoral levels. Again, if we're only talking about transportation or the airline industry or anything along those lines, engaging multiple actors when you're emerging with these solutions means that you're getting different levels of effectiveness, you're getting different investments and solutions, and you're able to scale at different levels. So both national, subnational, community level. And we really need it all. I think I'm going to leave us there today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Eco Chic. Thank you for hanging out with me. Like I mentioned, if you want to follow along, if you want to read with me, if you want to follow on social, I'm at Eco Chic Podcast. All of my links are always in the show notes. If you did enjoy this episode, you can rate, review, subscribe. You know all of those fabulous things that I always encourage you to do. Share it with a friend. Share it on your Instagram story. And please let me know if you enjoyed this style of episode. Like I said, I had a lot of fun putting it together. 
And I hope it helped give some context on the headlines and on the sound bites that we're hearing in the news and all of this really scary stuff that we just need to break down a little bit further so we can actually understand. Thanks again for hanging out. I hope you have a fabulous day and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.